As you can tell, we are privileged to have Jerry here this morning with us. He has a book that he's written, and he's going to be here two weeks in a row, um, and those books are for sale right out front. There's a Kindle edition as well, and I'm just thrilled. In the middle of our uh, Empowered series to have you here to teach us about the Holy Spirit, what a privilege. So thank you so much. So if you come up, and I'll pray for you. Father, thank you for what you've built in this man. Holy Spirit, what you've placed in him. And Lord, I pray today that, um, Lord, that your will just be done as he speaks and he brings what you've placed on his heart that we would hear. And Lord, that you would transform our lives, Holy Spirit, by your power. It's not by anything else, Lord. It's not by our words. It's by your power, Holy Spirit. So we invite you here. Thank you so much for the privilege of your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I met him on the phone a couple of days ago. He's much better looking on the phone. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? I'm sorry, but it's true. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> it looks like we've got enough water here to go for most of the day. Uh, if you get thirsty, why well, just come up and take a swig. I'm so glad to be here. You are a bunch of fun people. It's the first time I've ever been instructed on toilet etiquette <laughs> in church. But I suppose we all use it. <laughs> How are you? Are you good? Are you glad you're here? Isn't this a great way to spend a Sunday morning? Do you like the person you're seated next to? Do you? Does anybody want to move? No, okay. Well, you're stuck now. All right. Well, wonderful. Uh, I was so delighted when Kurt called and asked if I could come and then called back again and asked if I could come again. And, and so you're going to have to put up with me for two weeks. Uh, but... A week in between will give you time to forget what it was all about, so it'll be a new experience for you next week. <laughs> but he, he mentioned that you're going into a series that, uh, is it called uh, uh, Empowerment? Is that the title? And, and uh, that you're going to use a, a book that has just recently been released, actually, in May. And uh, it's, it's, it's small, but, but I, I think... I, I th it's new, and I'm still getting feedback on it. You know, you, you know what you're saying, but you don't know what people are reading. It's, it's kind of that kind of a deal. Like, I'm speaking, I know what I'm saying, but I don't have a clue what you're hearing. And, and any similarity between what you hear and what I say is absolutely miraculous. And, and it's kind of that way with, with a book. But I, I think it will lend itself to your study and to your discussion. And I'm, I'm not going to read the book to you. He did ask me to theme uh, my comments around uh, that book. And um, I, uh, in the introduction, I tell the story of how, how it got uh, even written. Because in our denomination right now, and, and I think uh, my, my indication is that it's broader than that, that uh, there's, there's just some confusion and concern and 
about the Holy Spirit and about the, the gifts of the Spirit, about speaking in tongues, about all of this stuff that you've heard so many strange tales about. And I, I was in a conversation with a young pastor uh, about this, and he, all of a sudden, he just, he, he just said, Jerry, what's the big deal? And I thought, you sucker. I didn't say it out loud, but, but, but that was my spiritual response. And, um, you know, I, I thought, you're, you're a pastor of, of a church that's committed to Pentecost, to the Holy Spirit. And, and you want to know what the big deal is? I wanted to slap him alongside the head. And, and, and when you're my size, you don't slap. You just think about it. And then I thought, you know, that is a really important question. If we can't answer that question, we're in deep trouble. Because it really is a big deal. And, and, and we talked back about that, and, and it was a profound, profound comment, and, and touched me deeply. And so this little book is, is kind of a response to that question. What's the big deal? And what I'd like to do this morning is, is uh, what does it mean when that clock starts blinking? Does that mean I'm done? Does it, does it start shooting, actually? But it doesn't tell me what time it is. It does what? So, so far, I have done nothing. I like that clock, man. We could work with that. You betcha. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I don't know where that stuff comes from. It just, it just kind of, there it is. Uh, I want to read uh, the, the part of the second chapter of Acts. It's familiar, but I want to read it as though it's not. I've chosen not to put it on a, on a PowerPoint because I really want you to listen. I want you to hear it. And I want you to stay with me. I don't want you reading ahead of me. <laughs> and I'm never sure where you are when it's on that PowerPoint. But, but today I just, want to, I just want to read it to you. And I want us to hear the import and the impact of this remarkable event of the day of Pentecost. And I'll, I'll return to this theme after we've read it. But, but you need to understand that for me, what we're going to read right now, that is the anchor point. That is the center point of my entire theology and faith. Everything, biblically and in life, our, our, our walk of faith, everything flows to this day. Everything is on its way to this day. And everything is now flowing from that day. Do you follow what I'm saying? This, this is a watershed day. It's the point for which all the redemptive action of God has taken place so that this day could happen and forward. And, and so it's, it, it's terribly important 
that we that we understand that and and hear it and 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 we this, this is this is an interplanetary event if i could say that because it changes everything and once we understand that the impact of that change then then we will understand better what what this faith in god is all about and what salvation is all about, and what being filled with the Spirit is all, and what being Christian is all—it's it, it, here. And I just—and and most of this, you know, Kurt is, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful teacher and a biblical teacher, and we're just—we're just underlining again things that are, I, I, I think, fundamental. But but I want to go through them. Uh, there is a beginning to this chapter. I had it. Yeah. Okay. There it is. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, now that was a feast in the Jewish calendar, okay, when people gathered into Jerusalem, they were all together in one place. He's talking there about the disciples and the followers of Jesus. We understand there was about 120 people in this all together in one place group. There were many more of those, many more than that in Jerusalem, but this group was together. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, think about this as though you were there and this was happening. Suddenly, the whole place, the house, everywhere, was filled the, the other translations say a mighty rushing wind. I get your attention. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Let's look at this for just a second. There's this enormous sound of wind. Now, Wind sometimes sounds like thunder, can sound like an explosion, can sound like any number of things, but this, this sounded like rushing, rushing wind, moving wind, impactious wind. And evidently, while that was going on, because there doesn't seem to be an end to the wind and a beginning of the, of the, of the tongues of fire, it seems that in the midst of all of this, there, there appeared tongues of fire, and it says, and they separated and came to dwell on each of them. What that, what that imagizes for us is that in the midst of this wind, suddenly there was, in fact, a ball, a pillar, a chunk of fire in the room. Okay? So you've got supernatural wind. You've got fire in the room, but the room's not on fire. Okay? If, if, if you're in, in anything other than coma, all of your senses are awake right now. This is something spectacular. But it's more than that. And I won't go into this at length. I do cover it a little bit in the book, but I, I won't go into this. Wind in the Jewish mind and history, and all of these people here, wind stood for the presence of God. In the Old Testament, God was figured in wind. The most notable is when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, remember? And the, and the Egyptian armies were, were behind them, and the, 
the Red Sea was in front of them, and they were trapped. And, and Moses stepped up to the water's edge, stuck out his stick, and, and called on God for the help. And then it says, and, and Hollywood has it, that right then the water parted and trod along. Here we go. In fact, you can ride through the parting of the waves at Universal Studios in a little cart. Well, it, it didn't happen that way. Sometimes Hollywood doesn't read the Bible before they tell the story. You know? This says, after Moses did that, they went back to their tents, supposedly to die, because the army was coming. They went back to their tents, and it says, all night long they're blue. This phrase right here, a mighty rushing wind. Same phrase. And you can trace on through the Old Testament the times that God was, was illustrated in wind. So when they heard this, realized it was from heaven, and that it's a supernatural thing, in every Jewish mind in that room, they understood this is the presence of the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They put that together. Then when fire came into the mix, that, that intensified that. Because again, in the Old Testament, God is figured in fire over and over and over again. The burning bush in the wilderness. And, and it just kept burning beyond its fuel. <laughs> and it got uh, Moses' fire. The, the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by night, all, all through the Old Testament. And so in these two figures, God is saying to them, I am here in the room with you. My presence is here. And then a most remarkable thing happened. This piece of fire, the scripture says, separated Okay? That means it began to come apart, and its pieces came to rest on the heads of all of those people. Okay? So now there wasn't just one located point of fire. And I don't know if that central piece was dissipated or not. The indication is that it was. But this that was central now is distributed, and the presence of God now is present in every one of them. Do you, do you see the drama that, that, that God has played out here? It's, it's, it's absolutely dramatic, and, it's, and it's, it's wonderful. Tongues of fire that separated came to rest on each All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, that is, with the very Spirit of God. And they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. One of the other translations of that is as the Spirit prompted them. In other words, he told them what to say and they said it. And that, by the way, is how all of our work with the Holy Spirit takes place. You got it? Everything that I'm saying to you, I'm hearing first in my mind. But I'm fluent in this language. Some would doubt that, but I'm fluent in this language. And so I'm not conscious of that process going on. But there's a hearing and a speaking. And that's the way the voice of God is heard. We hear and we speak. We hear and we speak. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. <laughs> 
when they heard this sound, a crowd came together. So the sound wasn't confined just to the room. It was in the room, but it, 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 it was heard otherwise. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, I should think, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Aren't they locals? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Now listen to these, to these languages. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, these are all native language dialects. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. That's, that's quite a list of countries, isn't it? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Wow. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had too much to drink. In other words, they're drunk. I've never known drunk people to begin speaking languages they've never learned, have you? That, that, that's not usually a symptom of drunkenness. So that's the inane conclusion if they came to. You okay if I read to you? You all right? Okay. Since you like it, I'll do some more. Then Peter, the most unlikely, <laughs> who, who finally got his foot out of his mouth, he stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. That, that, that would be a relatively easy conclusion to come to. It's only nine in the morning if you had to, you know, figure it out. The, the pubs haven't been open long enough for them to get drunk. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, from verse 17 through verse 21, Peter steps back 800 years into Israel's past, into the little book of Joel. 800 years. This passage, this prophecy, has hung suspended. It has not been applied by any of the prophetical or rabbinical literature. It hangs there. It has never fit any place. Okay? Now, Joel, he, he only, this is the only thing he ever said. It's not like this was one of his great sermons. This is all he said. He steps out on the, spade, on the stage of time, says what this is, and is gone. Basically, the, the completeness of his prophecy is, is that this plague of locusts, you know, they had a plague of, of, of grasshoppers, mega grasshoppers, locusts, and, and it had devastated the land. And basically what he says, if you think this plague of locusts is bad, wait till the day of the Lord comes. And he's gone. And that just hangs. No place to put it. And then Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Here's where it fits, finally. In the last days, what does that mean? That at this point that Peter begins to read that something remarkable happens in the, all, the arena of all time. 
something called the last days begins. Do you follow? God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He's explaining what just happened. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men, excuse me, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I, I can vouch for old men dreaming dreams. Even on my servants, watch this, both men and women. We okay with that? That means both men and women are fully equipped by the Holy Spirit to minister in the name of Christ through that power. We okay? All right. If you're not, don't talk to me because it's a closed subject for me. I will show wonders, or pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So you have a community of prophets. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So we've got two things. You've got the, the, the formation of a prophetic community made up of boys and girls, men and women. Okay, now they can speak in God's behalf. That's what prophets do. Secondly, during this last day window, which opened here, there are going to be signs in the heavens. Where these signs occur, it means the age is coming to an end. That doesn't mean that as soon as all of those happen, boop, it's over. It means during this last days, these kinds of things are going to happen. In other words, the cosmos as we know it is going to begin to fall apart. What it says. And during this time, while the world is falling apart, and while this prophetic community is on the planet, everyone who calls <laughs> on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that brilliant? At the very time the world is falling apart, there is a community of people filled with the Spirit who can speak for God into that setting so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord be saved. And people call in all kinds of ways. Sometimes they curse, sometimes they pray, sometimes they curse and pray. I mean, you know, their world is falling apart. I can't dwell on it this morning. I've talked about it before with you. That's why we're here, guys. That, that's, that's why we're here. We're about speaking for God, being the very presence and voice of God and heart of God and passion of God, being God in our world. Because it's when the world is falling apart that people will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. How many phrases indicate my world is falling apart? Oh, my heart. The person I love most in my life just kissed me goodbye and, and 
What a broken heart. What is that? That's somebody calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, don't whip out your Bible and jam 3.16 down their throat. Just listen. Hear them. And whatever the Holy Spirit whispers into your heart, say it. It's easy. Don't take a hundred classes and learn a, a thousand verses. That'll just paralyze you. This is not rocket science. This is being filled with the very presence and spirit of God. So when someone says, oh, last night was the worst night of my whole life, man. It just feels like my whole world is falling apart. Don't pat them on the back and say, sorry, bub. Boy, I'll, I'll be thinking of you. Are, you. are you crazy? Just listen. The Jesus question is always easy to ask. Is there anything I can do for you? You can be sure that's one of the things the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart because that's what Jesus always asked people who were coming to him. What can I do for you? <laughs> I'd like some new eyes. Well, good, I do eyes. <laughs> that, that's the question. And that's why you're filled with the Holy Spirit so you can ask that question and in Jesus' name respond to it. That's what I would have said if I'd have had time. 19. Does that mean I have 19 left or I've gone 19? I've gone 19. Well, how many do I have left? Huh? No, because these people are ready for pizza here any minute. <laughs> Men of Israel, listen to this. This is Peter talking. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which he did among you and through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailed him to a cross. And then he talks about the resurrection. If this Jesus that was, was crucified, many of them were in Jerusalem when that happened. He said, he, he's resurrected from the dead. And, and this is his spirit. This is his presence that we're talking about. It, it, it's, it, it's incredible. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of the fact. He's been exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Wow, talk about a historic moment. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord, that is God, Adonai, God, and Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. This is the person. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And then this glorious verse that just echoes down through, through all the quarters of time. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins. Have you done that? 
See, that, when you read the Scripture, it's the same as if it's being said right now. That's why we call it the living word. It's not the used-to-be word. Okay? It's the living word. It's the now. Here you go. And so this question is a valid question wherever we read it and wherever it comes. Have you repented and been baptized? That means in water, dunked in water. In this church, they put you under water. They, 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 they. It's called immerse you. And if they have any doubt about your repentance, they hold you under for a while. And you may be borderline going down, but you're committed coming up, I'll tell you. <laughs> Have you repented and been, and been baptized? That's an important question. That has to do with your eternity. If you have, this is wonderful, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that went out with the apostles. Well, just keep reading. The promise is for you, them, your children, them, <laughs> and for all who are afar off, them, and for all whom the Lord our God will call us. That's us. Do you get it? It didn't go out with the apostles. Nothing went out with the apostles except the apostles. That's the only thing left. Holy Spirit certainly didn't leave. Have you repented, been baptized, and have you received the Holy Spirit? See, those are very important questions, aren't they? And, and it's because of that, the possibility now of posing that question. The possibility of repentance, of cleansing, and not just being left empty hoping something good creeps in, but repentant, cleansed, redeemed, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. See, it's that possibility that has never been true before in all of human history, up until this remarkable day of Pentecost. The inbreaking of God, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, the life of Christ lived out before us, the horrible death of Jesus Christ, the remarkable resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, all of those were so this question could be asked, so that repentance can be true, so that people can now call on the name of Lord and be saved because sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness can now be given because the curse of death on sin has in fact been carried out in Jesus Christ. But the curse was not a curse. It was simply a death followed by a resurrection which broke the curse. 
and a whole new race of people begins to be prominent. People whose near ancestor is not Adam. In Adam, all sin. In Adam, all die. You're not a son of Adam if you have asked for repentance and been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a son of God through Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. It means Christ is my near ancestor. I don't go back to Adam. I go back to Jesus. That's a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away. Everything's becoming new. That's the point of Pentecost, so that that can happen. Everything has been done. Now the question can be asked, do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want to be in fellowship with God? Do you want to have his precious Holy Spirit as part of your life? Do you want to begin to walk the way you were created to walk as you begin to live and learn and work out and walk out? You will walk right on out into eternity. Do you follow? The only thing that changes is a dimension. <laughs> Death is not the end of anything. Death is just dimension change. That's all. You just walk into an unlimited dimensional reality. Whoa! See, we've only got three dimensions to work with, so we don't do well with unlimited dimensions. <laughs> okay, but death means you turn the corner, suddenly you're free from the three-dimensional restriction, and it's an unlimited dimensional reality. Whoa, what does that mean? I don't have the faintest idea. <laughs> but I do know this, it's good, it's joyful, it's forever. <laughs> it doesn't have pain. It doesn't have any crying or bawling or whining around. <laughs> and God is physically, oh my goodness, I don't even know what that means in unlimited dimensional reality, but somehow or other, he's in the midst of his people. And we get on with what he had in mind in the first place. For we don't even know why we were created. The whole thing has been a parenthesis to get us back into relationship with God so that we can go on with his eternal plan. Well, that's what I wanted to say. Do you see why this day is so central to our faith, to our theology, to our Christian life. Well, if you don't, that's the best I can do. We're going to receive communion. Jesse's going to lead us in that. 
Communion is an important thing. Can I just say something, Jesse? Uh, because if, if this morning you're here and you need, you need Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, you, you, just, you just need to repent. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm not going to ask you to stand and, and you know, I'll, I would embarrass me. I wouldn't stand. I wouldn't blame you. But you don't repent to me. You, know, you repent to Jesus. And if you need to repent, take the communion and allow that to be the point of your repentance. Don't disqualify yourself from communion because you're not a believer. Become a believer. Open your life to Christ. And take the cup and take the bread as a testimony to the fact that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to be with you. You are the nicest people Plus, you feed me. <laughs> God bless you. Jesse, would you come, please?